What's up, dudes? This episode is sponsored by Unleash Your Inner Pussy, the secret to dominating your life and conquering your goals. This is a workshop. It's led by Thorax Carnitine, the German-born seven-time Olympic gold medal-winning pole vaulter. You've probably heard him on Joe Rogan. Here's what I want to say, okay? Yes, his last name is an amino acid. Yes, the message is a little bit contradictory, but being a man is contradictory. So I took Thorax's workshop, and the first thing we did was weighted trust falls. This is like a normal trust fall, except the guy who's falling wears a suit of armor weighed down with lead, so he weighs about 700 pounds. And as this guy's about to fall into like four other men's outstretched arms, I look at Thorax and I say, is this a good idea? And he looks back at me and he says, what do you think? And I said, no, I don't think so. And then he said, is that just fear talking? And before I really had time to process it, the guy fell. Uh, we didn't catch him. A couple of us broke our arms and he broke his asshole. He had to get asshole surgery. But then the craziest thing happened. Thorax looked at me and he said, why did you doubt yourself? And then he said, a real man admits when he's wrong. I want you to pay for all of these guys' medical bills in addition to the $12,000 workshop fee. And that lesson has stuck with me ever since. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Ayahuasca Anonymous, a podcast where we talk to people about their experiences doing plant medicines, what led them to that, what their experience was, did they learn anything, did they not, are they still struggling to make sense of it all, whatever. How's it going with them? How's it going with you? I'm your host, Nathaniel Falkoff. My guest this week is John Steiner, who is Sinclair from Episode 2's partner. They met at an ayahuasca retreat center where they were both managers together. That's where I met John. John, when I first met him, was a very big, imposing, muscular guy. He was wearing, I seem to recall, Tim's work boots around the camp a lot. <laughs> a style I'm acquainted with. And John's got a very interesting story about addiction, opiates, competitive weightlifting, feeling empty. I can relate. And a lot of what we ended up talking about, there's a lot of things, but a lot of it centered around masculinity. Thus, our delightful sponsor for this week I'm going to ramble for a second about masculinity because I think it's an important topic and it's maybe the theme of this episode and also probably one of the things I'm working on the most. Um, you know, in the last few years, there's been a very mainstream reckoning with the patriarchy, the effects of men subjugating women to lesser roles, inequities in workplace, in pay, uh, the ubiquity of sexual assault and terrible sexual culture in general in the U.S. and the world. Um, 
and that was a really big cultural shift. I'm not sure we've had the big awakening cultural shift that's the counterpart of that, where we talk about the pressures on men, why men commit sexual assault in the first place. Yes, we have a word called toxic masculinity, but no one really addresses the sort of inner wounding that abuse and things like this are coming from. Um, or it's just not as talked about as much. There's a lot of men are shit and blame everything on men, which is fair, but the real path to a better world or whatever is uh, healing that, getting to the root causes of it, addressing the competition, the dominance, blah, 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 that leads to these things. I have a really good friend who he grew up out in the country and his dad was alcoholic, abusive, uh, all of the bad things. And one of the things he talks about is in Ohio, where I grew up, there's all these billboards in rural America because abuse is such a problem where it's telling women uh, it doesn't have to happen again. Like you can leave, you do not deserve this, et cetera, et cetera, which is an important message. But why don't we have billboards addressed to men saying just because this happened once doesn't mean it has to happen again? There's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of recognizing that this is not a men's issue or a woman's issue. These are related. These are, this is a human society level issue. Anything that women are experiencing being perpetrated by men, the answer, yes, is women's empowerment, but also in healing men. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it just keeps going, right? To break the cycle requires a change in men, not a change in women necessarily. And there's also a really big difference between performative, I'm an ally, I stand with women, and actually confronting your own darkness, the own messaging you grew up with about masculinity, how you thought you needed to conquer women and fuck as many people as possible and be emotionally absent and make a bunch of money, blah, blah, blah. All of those things, even in so-called... Uh, woke men are there, whether you admit them or not. Um, so I think there's a big difference between performative allyship, which is what I think a lot of society is at now, and actually dealing with the real shit. And that's ongoing work. It's something every man is going to have to confront in himself. I certainly am. And as a society, I don't think we've had that reckoning yet. So, something to look forward to. Uh, anyway, that's my little rant. This conversation with John, really good. I think we, uh, John wins the award for most saying the word fuck in a conversation. We're, we kind of broed out for a little bit. But we also went to some deep places and um, got emotional towards the end. It was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Oh. And I forgot to mention, this was also recorded 
I don't know, in October, November, long time ago. So it's a little more, uh, the world was a little more uncertain then, or was it? I don't know. I was in a different place then. John was in a different place then. You were in a different place then. A little more quarantine-y. Anyway, it's old, but relevant still. So many times when I was doing ayahuasca or something, I would always just have the realization, like, this is it. Mm. Right now, this is it. Kind of the power of the present moment. Uh But I always, even right now, I'm always uh, looking for something in the future or waiting for that carrot dangling out there. Yeah, I don't I don't know where I saw this quote or whatever, but it says something something like um it's not about rating waiting for the rainstorm to end, but it's about learning how to dance in the rain. Yeah. And I I can really relate to that during this whole time is like when everything first started like what you were just describing is like bear down, like, okay, I'm just going to wait this out and I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to hold tight until this is over. And it was pretty fucking miserable. And then just like you said, like at some point I'm like, Oh, this is not going to be over anytime soon. So I like, as I accepted that it like freed me up to like, okay, well this is what it is. And now I can make the best of it. And it's still not as, um, it still hasn't been like an ideal situation, but it's (laughs) at least my, my vibration, my attitude towards it has improved. (laughs) Yeah, mine too. I mean, but it's just a heightened version of something that I think at least I face all the time of like Mm -hmm. needing external circumstances to line up in a proper way. And, and then I'll be happy. And then as the world kind of constantly deteriorates and you realize like next year could be even worse, you know, like we don't know. And sort of it's that reminder of it doesn't matter what's happening out there. I mean, it does, but you really can't control how you react to it. And we're kind of all learning that. Oh, that's what kind of brought me to the medicines in the first place. It's like, okay, so I got a, I had a nasty opiate addiction. I got clean in like 2010. Yeah. And I started to get the power back to like participate in my own life. So I wanted to go back to school. I wanted to find a job. I got involved in like weightlifting. I wanted to win some medals in weightlifting and not consciously, but I subconsciously had this like checklist, like, well, when I graduate, if I find a girl and we're in a relationship and we I have a, a house that I'm, you know, renting or whatever, and I have a job and I win some medals in weightlifting. Like then once all these outside things are lined up, then things will be magically so much better. Yeah. And in like a maybe three or four month period, it was like, check, 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 check all those fucking boxes. And I had this huge existential crisis, like what the fuck? It didn't do any of the things that I wanted it to do. I like, I feel exactly the same. I, and it, it led me into this downward spiral. And um, that's what caused me to seek out some help from the medicine. And it was like, well, what am, what am I going to do now that it's, 
I don't know. I thought, I thought for the first 28 years of my life, it was about lining up all the outside circumstances. And it took me lining them all up the way I thought would be great to realize it's not, not about that at all. Yeah. I mean, I had the exact same experience and I, I even like thought that was a cliche that I was avoiding. Cause you always hear about, you usually hear about with like big celebrities of like, I was in the biggest movie in the world. And then, it, and I'm like, I don't know. I think subconsciously, if you're a regular person, you still kind of think like, I mean, if I got that, I would be on top of the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then it takes some sort of example in your own life of having some sort of your own goal and then checking that box. I had all the same things. It was like, once I get a stable job, once I have a girlfriend, once I have time to do creative pursuits, and then I checked all those off. And then it was like, oh, shit. Right, right. <laughs> Here I am again. I feel, I feel empty. I feel lost. Um, so that's yeah. probably about the same age I came into it. it it's pretty wild. It's, um, I feel really grateful that, um, I don't know. I mean, I look at some people with like really big, well, big external dreams, right? Like, like we were talking about like the movie star example or like professional athlete or like these people who are like, my dream is to be a, the CEO of some company. And like some of these dreams can take, I mean, like being a CEO of some company is like, imagine it taking 50, 60 years and then being let down. I'm like so grateful <laughs> yeah. that, that my dreams were like externally a lot smaller. <laughs> I was able to like get let down by the time I was not even 30. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was always so against that, like, putting your trying to put your happiness in those external goals. Like I was consciously against that. And yeah, I was still doing it. Mm -hmm. You don't realize the traps you're setting for yourself. No. I mean, before I came to the medicines, I don't, I was so, my consciousness was like, was so much smaller, I guess I was, there was like, the things I was aware that was going on in my mind and emotions and everything was like such a narrow little window. And, um, the medicines have helped me to like expand that awareness to like, see like what's going on under the surface and what's going on under that surface. And like, where the hell are all these like programs and ideas and beliefs even coming from? Because before I didn't even know they were, I didn't even know they were operating. It was a very similar to like you, I, I would consciously reject these ideas that I was currently participating in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you were, were you in your early 20s, you were addicted to opiates. Mm -hmm. And how, how long were you, like, how much were you, what was like the scope of that? Oh, man, it was... Um... Well, I'm pretty grateful. It, it definitely was not as bad as uh, some other people I, I have known it to be with. Um, but I, when I was growing up, my, my mom was like dealing with her own illness and spiritual like transformation. And she was super depressed, tried to take her life, I don't know, a bunch. And, um, you know, it was like pretty at the time I was so self-centered and I was thinking about like how traumatic this is for me and how unfair it is for me to have a mom going through this. And 
I, you know, I turned to drugs as an escape from that, as a reprieve from feeling all that. And over the years, it progressed and progressed. And I had, I ended up having a tonsil surgery and I got some opiates and fuck off to the races. Yeah. Um, And I'm actually really grateful because had I not gotten, gotten like involved with something more devastating, like opiates, like I would have, I think I would have spent my life just like drinking and smoking weed. And I don't know how long that would have like lasted. Instead, it was real apparent after a couple years of opiate use that like, okay, I've gotten a couple DUIs. They've taken my license from me. I've, you know, gotten a couple possession charges. Like this is not going well. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. I'm really grateful that it went downhill so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is something to that. So you lost the point where you were really like functioning well with it. It was like, I mean, DUIs and possession, then you're getting in money troubles and stuff. Like it's just like constant chaos. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the external troubles were like, I mean, they were definitely difficult and like frustrating and not enjoyable in any way to go through. Um, but this, like at the time, this internal struggle, this like feeling empty and disconnected and not knowing what to do with like negative feelings, not knowing how to like, I mean, I wanted to quit probably a year before I actually did quit. And I would tell myself every fucking day, like, not today. And I was just unable to do it. And that, like, being unable to do something I wanted to do was so just, like, debilitating. And so it added so much fuel to the fire of, like, self-doubt, self-hatred, like, yeah, just you know, like the, the part of myself that likes to beat me up and like, tell me I'm a piece of shit. All that was like, I mean, there was just a mountain of evidence for that. So that dealing with that was like, was much harder than, or much more uncomfortable than, I mean, I'll go to drug court, whatever. I'll sit in your DUI class. It's not the end of the world. None of that really like bothered me, but sitting with myself was fine. <laughs> it was heavy. Yeah. I mean, that self-hatred and realizing that you're, you're just not in control. Like, right. And that's like a really scary oh, shit. feeling to have of just like, I cannot control my own life. Mm. So how did you get into ayahuasca then? So I, okay. So I'd been sober for like, I mean, no, not a drop of alcohol, fucking nothing. I was going to 12 step meetings for like from 2010 to 2014, 15, something like that. And, um, I, I mean, I'm so, so absolutely so grateful to those meetings. So they really did save my life. They gave me a community. They gave me, um, a lot of healing and they gave me a relationship with myself and, the creator and the people in my life where I was actually present for the first time in a long time. Um, however, 
after five years or so, I felt like I kind of outgrew it and was looking for something different, but I really didn't know where to search. So I just kind of put all that on hold. Um, and then as I was getting ready to graduate, I had some friends that had like, they had started kind of experimenting with MDMA and LSD and I had very few experiences with those when I was younger. I had like maybe two or three, you know, mushroom or LSD experiences. And I had one mushroom experience in particular that like, it was, I bit off more than I could chew. And I like, was like, holy fuck, this is like really powerful. This is not a drug. This is like that the mushrooms basically were like, this is a sacred fucking thing. So get your shit together. If you ever want, you know, if you ever want to come back, yeah, exactly. You there's, it can't be for fun. I understand. So so my friends were getting into the, the LSD and the MDMA. And, um, I thought like, you know, it's been a long time. I debated on it for like months and months and months and months. And I was like, I'm going to sit with some LSD and I'm going to use this with an intention and try to get some, direction and some guidance. And, um, what ended up happening was I had this like complete mystical experience, this like union with everything and a reconnection to myself. Like I was so wrapped up with like achievement and weightlifting and what the girl looked like that I was sleeping with and how much money I had and what my shoes looked like and just completely off in ego land. And I got this reprieve from it for like, I don't know, maybe a half hour, an hour at the end of this LSD experience. And um, it was like this reconnection to my heart and realizing that for me, it was about like my relationship with myself and the people in my life and the creator and the earth is like, that's what's important. It doesn't matter like what shoes I'm wearing or, you know, what the girl I'm sleeping with looks like or how much money I have or any of that shit. And, um, that portion of the experience felt so much more real than anything I had ever experienced previous. Um, that I went on this like this quest to figure out like, well, how do I get more of that? Yeah. How do I become what I felt like in those, in that time? And like, I can't take LSD every day. So I started meditating and yoga and reading books like a a fiend and like just trying to figure out like, you know, how the fuck do I, how the fuck do I do this? How do I integrate it? Okay. So that's your doorway in. Um, but there's a couple things in there that interested me. I was always wondering if you did the 12 step stuff, because I remember when I met you one, I thought you're like this big intimidating guy was my first impression. But then two is like, I don't know, halfway through the retreat, you held like a men's workshop. Do you remember doing those? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was more scared of doing a men's workshop than I was like, I know how to do drugs. Like, that's right, how I right. kind of fell. I was like, I can, I can do that. 
Right. But it was like very scary. I was kind of rolling my eyes and cringing about doing this men's workshop. I was like, well, why not show up? Right. And then you led it. And I imagine it may have been modeled after 12 step stuff. Right. Is that true? Well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, that was definitely my introduction to like sitting in a circle and sharing. Um, so there's like so many different formats for these meetings. Um, but yeah, just being, it's definitely pulling from that inspiration of like having a safe place to sit in a circle and like just be vulnerable is like so, I had never in my life before I went to those meetings found a place where you could talk without being interrupted, where you could share whatever fucked up shit was going on in your mind. And rather than people being like, oh my God, they were like, yeah, 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 me too. <laughs> yeah. And that was like, when the first meeting I went to was like such a, a, like a weight lifted off my shoulders. They read this, I showed up to the meeting high and they read this like chapter in their book entitled who's an addict. And I was like, this fucking book is describing shit. I've never been able to put into words. This is exactly how I feel. Yeah. And other people started sharing and I was like, holy shit, it's not just me. <laughs> like the more I sat in circles and shared with people, I realized like, man, these things that culture tries to make me feel so alienated about having feelings or thoughts about like every motherfucker has feelings and thoughts that are so similar. So it like, it immediately took their power. They used to be this thing where I'm like, ugh, I'm carrying this huge load and I'm the only one that has to carry it. And it's awful. And it's like, everyone's carrying that. <laughs> so relieving. Yes, it is relieving. And there's, but I, I remember being very struck specifically with the men's circle of like, every story was the same. It was all about insecurity, low self-worth, emasculation, yeah. like whatever form it took, like everyone told the exact same story of I'm trying to live up to some sort of expectation. And I constantly feel that I'm not living up to it. And I feel like shit and I beat myself up about it. And, right. that, and sometimes that makes me, and it was all the same stuff. It was like, you know, porn, women, yeah, trying to be tough. Like just hearing that over and over from everyone was like, it was kind of eye-opening for me. Yeah. It's like, we, we're all, we are all really like what we are in our hearts. And we've all told ourselves we're supposed to be this other way. And the whole world is like flagellating themselves, trying to be this other way that in reality, no one is. <laughs> yeah. No one is. <laughs> it's wild. And even if you had like those, I feel like if you ever got real close to some hyper-masculine paragon of like what we think that ideal is, you would realize like, oh, this guy's miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, um, yeah, that's like how I see it now. Like, um, okay. I don't really watch much TV, but when I was visiting my pops, he had the TV on, there's commercials going on. And I remember there's a commercial for some whiskey by um, the fuck's that fighter Connor McGregor. Yeah, and yeah. It's like this dude 
is supposed to be the pinnacle, right? He's like rich, he's famous, he's fucking tough, he's a drinker, and he yeah. it's like this is the thing that they tell you you're supposed to want to be. And I had it was a nice moment for me to realize, like, man, the medicines have really worked because I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, man, he looks scared. He looks fucking insecure. He looks miserable trying to be his whole life is wrapped up in this fucking persona. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it doesn't even it doesn't look remotely fun anymore. Well, what's weird to me is as you're saying that, I'm thinking I still want all of those things, <laughs> but I have this part of me that knows it's like the price you pay for that is too high. I haven't stopped coveting like wealth or fame or any of those other things. It's just there's kind of this dawning awareness of like it's it's a fantasy and it's an illusion. And even if you like I still have all those. I don't know if you do, but yeah, for sure. It's it's really nice to like it's like that that little voice that has been programmed into us never really has gone away for me. I, I thought when I came to the medicines like I'm going to kill this fucking voice. It's going to go away. I'm never going to be bothered by it again. And that's the trick. Yeah. And what's happened instead is like that voice still talks. And now I'm like, yeah, I see you, bro. You really don't want that. Like, relax. Thanks for your input. But I'm I'm over here. And um, it's like lost its power the, the same way. It's like it's still OK. So it still shows up. But the times that it shows up have gotten less frequent. And when it shows up, it's gotten progressively less intense. And of course, not in some linear fashion where it's like, oh, yeah. this is getting easier and easier. It's like, of course, some days are like, I'll have like a good month or whatever. And then be like, God damn, that voice is really loud this month. I don't know what happened. But overall, in the grand scheme of things, we're going towards less intense and less frequent with that, <laughs> that voice. I mean, even just realizing that it is a voice, mm. that's a big step <laughs> because uh, everything in your head all seems like one unified source of truth. And right. when you start being able to parse out like, oh, this is coming from my old beliefs, society, whatever, like to be able to start distinguishing those things, like I'm still doing, I'm still doing it all the time now. Right. If anything, I'm, I'm, I think that's the work that I am doing now is like realizing um, I still have all these things around achievement and stuff like that. And the more that I sit with it, the more it's just like, why do I even need to do that? Right. I know I, I, um, I really try and not successfully all the time, of course, but I really try to like think, okay, when, when you're fucking dying, cause you're going to die someday. When I'm dying on my deathbed, am I going to be thinking about like, oh man, I really wish I had gotten that car or I really wish I had fucking slept with that girl. I'm like, that's going to all be fucking distant memories. And I'm going to be holding conversations like this close and experiences sitting around a fire and, you know, being able to be there for my family and shit like that. <laughs> like it's, that's what I think I'll be thinking about. I hope so, but it's, it's tough to get that perspective. I mean, I think that's one of the things ayahuasca does is it almost is like a near death experience that forces you to take that higher perspective of like, 
right? I mean, it. I, I think it is does have a lot in common with like simulating death. Yeah, well, that's what the. Um, I don't even know they they call it a lot of different things in a lot of different places, but the word ayahuasca comes from the Quechua language. Aya, uh, I can't remember which one's which, but aya uh, and wasca is like rope or vine, and then the other part is death. Oh, really? Mm. No shit. I mean, it, it does make sense when you get into all of the sciencey stuff about it, like DMT being released when you die and all that stuff. And then if you want to get into the, I don't know, how big are you in getting into like the metaphysics of it, of like what yeah. consciousness is and uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want to go into that? Yeah, sure. I usually don't like there was a part of me that really got sucked into trying to figure all of that out. Mm. And then it is this line that you have to walk of like, I definitely know people who've gone too far down that way. Yeah. That doesn't look good. No, it's not a good look. (laughs) Uh, But then in this, even in the psychedelic community, like a lot of the guys that we idolize kind of have that, like he went farther than anyone else. That kind of, I don't know if you're into like Terrence McKenna or anyone like that. Like they all have this, they went so far down the rabbit hole and lived and we praise them for that. And I was like, I don't know if I want that for me, but when I was younger, I definitely did. I thought I need to push my limits. I thought it was a mystery I could solve. Yeah. Um, And I really like, like, I really like studying like ancient wisdom. Right. So a lot of the different cultures that have preceded ours have these like mystery schools, right? Like the Greeks, the Egyptians, all these different people had these mystery schools. And I was like, I, when I was first getting into understanding metaphysics and whatever I thought they were calling that if that, because there was a mystery and you were going to solve it. And I've come to realize it's a mystery because no matter how far you go down the rabbit hole, it's still a mystery. So it's like, it's giving me this, like, I don't know, giving me this relief to like, I'm not going to understand it all. So I don't even have to really try. (laughs) How fucking egotistical and like typical young man is it to think no one has ever so that is a mystery and no one has ever solved it right in term people I have will. articulated various aspects of it like yeah i'm gonna figure it all out right i'm gonna put all the pieces together <laughs> i think once you have i the thing is i don't really know almost anyone certainly young men who get into psychedelics who hasn't gone through that phase yeah well and then but i guess it's know, just part of it meeting meeting Salvador completely blew the fucking lid off of what I was expecting someone who had been working and training and like sitting with these medicines and sitting with teachers for a long time. I thought, okay, here's this person who's going to have those answers I'm seeking. And he, he told me, I don't have any answers and I'm not going to be able to give you any answers. So don't come to me looking for that. (laughs) I'm like, fuck okay (laughs) and this is a guy who drinks yeah that's a good point of like meeting a shaman who kind of walks the walk 
and you're idolizing them. You're looking at them as some sort of Jedi-like figure, which I definitely had. For sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's something about the presence that he has of just like being kind of regular and normal and not speaking about the medicine with like hyperbole or anything. Like all of the all of his lessons or teachings, his little bits of wisdom are all very small, right? It's not a big thing. He's not going to get into you with like what it all means and what maybe he will, but I always saw him kind of deflect those questions about oh, it's not important, right? And I was like, that was a big thing for me. And also, like it took me a while. He would say things like, "Don't lose yourself during the experience." Mm. It took me a while to like even hear him saying that. I was still trying. I thought the goal of it was to lose yourself, to like right. merge into some cosmic bliss. Right. Um, but and then here's a shaman because that's like the whole ego death thing. It's, it seems like that is the goal for a lot of people with psychedelics. Right. And then he was saying the complete opposite of like, no, sit with yourself. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. There's this, um, I like this, this Ram Das thing. Ram, he's talking about the same, same thing, wanting to, having had these experiences of what you're just describing, union with everything in the divine and losing himself. And he's like wanting to, he's telling the story of like chasing that for years and years and years. And yeah finally someone or something told him like, okay, you're a human being right now. Why don't you try taking the course in being human? <laughs> and yeah. that's like, I also think that though, that that searching for that, like that's an inevitable part of the process. Like you, I don't think you're going to escape that part of like searching out that losing yourself and thinking that's the way. Yeah. I mean, I guess how could you, like right. it's so profoundly eye-opening at first that like of course you have to kind of see it through to its logical conclusion right of like even as we say this like realizing you know all of this is an illusion or something like that if you hear that if you've never had that breakthrough experience you're like what the fuck are these crazy people talking about <laughs> right. i mean even now as i as i say it i don't it's impossible to reconcile with like regular human consciousness because that's right. all we have. We have this very limited thing. So you kind of have to crack, crack the coconut open mm. once or twice. Yeah. Like I know what <laughs> it's so crazy. Like what makes us think we're even equipped as human beings to understand it or hold that, like that, that union in that way for and sustain it. Like, <laughs> it's impossible you can't you're not meant to i i had this friend who like when i was first getting into it was like man like chill 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 and um i don't know if you've read that um herman hess book siddhartha oh i love siddhartha yeah so he right he goes he goes and becomes an aesthetic or aesthetic and then is like doing all these different things and he's trying all these different ways and eventually he gets to his own enlightenment. And my friend was talking to me about it. Like, well, look at the end of the road, none of that stuff mattered at all. Like it was just him working on this boat 
doing regular life shit that that helped him find yeah. this find what you're looking for right now. And I thought like, but he had to do all that other searching to get there. Like you can't just skip all that and end at like, oh well, you know, there's no way to merge with the divine. So I'll just stop. Like I had to go try to do that and fail at it and then take a step back and try something else. Oh man, you get me with, I haven't thought about that book in a while, but what's another great part of that book is like in the first like 20 pages, he meets the Buddha who's the only enlightened being. Right, right. And the Buddha's like, do you want, do you want my teaching? Like you can be enlightened. He's like, nah, I think I'd rather figure it out for myself. And then he goes and lives <laughs> this, this big complicated life where he gets into business for a while and covets money. And then he's sleeps with this courtesan for months. Right. Like, right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I read that book he a long to. time ago and I so still good. think when I can zoom out, like, yeah, I mean, this is the phase where I learn what it's like to desire money or get more money than I need and then realize it doesn't make me happy or something like that. It's like, yeah, I think that unfolding process that you're not really in control of it, uh, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, I want to like, I want to like find a shortcut or like yes we all think we can get a shortcut right and it's like well you're i'm here as a human being and i'm gonna have to take every fucking course available i'm i'm convinced that throughout whatever amount of lifetimes and incarnations whatever or however that works i don't really know but i'm i i have a feeling that that I've had to figure out everything the hard way because in this, in this life, that's how I've, that's the only time I've actually learned. I've never learned from someone saying, well, just do this and don't do that. And you have to like, I have always had to learn from my own experience. Yeah, me too. I mean, one way of saying that is like, we really only learn from pain Mm. of like, and really fucking things up enough to, know how much it hurts other people or yourself or something like that. And from that kind of place, a a compassion can kind of grow. But I agree. The only things that have really changed my personality or the trajectory of life that I've been on have been like deeply painful (laughs) (laughs) and of my own doing is the other thing too. my own making. Of course. Yeah. I, I always get this like, this image of like, okay, our awareness is like this point in the center of like a yin yang. And we want it to like, we want it to expand into the light, but the only way it expands is in all directions. So it's like, as we ask for more light, we also have to go into Get the more dark. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like, there's no, <laughs> Fuck. But that's what you're saying. That's what you're you're talking about. That's my that's my visual interpretation of what you're saying is that I had to learn this pain. I had to learn through these hard experiences. But they on the other side of that is what I'm seeking more compassion, more love, more joy, more whatever else is on the the side, more truth. It's right. It's like the Truth is this two-sided coin, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking 
that the goal now, I think the younger goal was, yes, to have a shortcut to reach some kind of enlightenment, to be above the worldly things of, you know, money and women and power. And now it's more like, I just want like small human things. There's no like universal truth that I'm really seeking anymore. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotten a lot simpler. Like when I, when I like fantasize about the way I'd like to be living, I imagine like a simple yurt somewhere with some land and I'm like farming and sitting with the medicine often like got some good people around me and just having a good time yeah so what was like what was a really big perspective shift or a particular occasion with i don't know any medicine you can pick your poison but like because i i have a couple where like when i think back of like medicine experiences that really changed me I can think of a couple. Do you have those like ones that are, were really like turning points for you? For sure. Um, the first one I actually didn't even understand until months and months and months, maybe even over a year later. Um, so before I had gotten with ayahuasca, I was sitting with LSD regularly and I had this, I, <laughs> I was still learning how to respect things. So I had taken a bunch of LSD, like eight tabs or something like that. And I'm like, I'd <laughs> smoke some weed and like completely out of body experience, like panic attack, really freaking out. Yeah. And while I was like outside of my body, my head turned into this like infinite by infinite Rubik's cube, just spinning over and over and over and over and over. And at the time I was like, I mean, this was when I was in this, like, I could understand, I, I will understand all of it. And I realized later on that, like, that was trying to show me that, like, I'm not going to solve this thing. It's unsolvable. And, um, when I learned that that's what that was trying to show me, it's like, and you know, I don't remember it all the time, but sometimes when I'm trying to figure out something or trying to solve something, it'll be like this flash of that memory. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, relax. You're not going to figure it all out. You're not going to solve it. You're not going to crack the mystery of life. So just like take a breath. <laughs> that was a big one. Um, and then I had this, I had this journey with ayahuasca where she pulled me to someplace I don't really know, but it felt like I was looking down on the entire physical reality. And in that, from that place, it looked so fucking perfect. Everything was exactly where it should be. Everything was like, it was like all these cogs in a machine all turning perfectly together and everyone's decisions and words and actions. And I mean, like, like for example, the way we 
right? We breathe out carbon dioxide. The trees breathe that in. They breathe out oxygen. We breathe that in. It's like these two yeah. are turning perfectly. And when I was wherever I was looking at it all, it looked so perfect. And it was like this, it was this big relief because what, what I came into that ceremony with, um, the, the understanding I had cultivated in myself was like, look at what's happening with our economic system. That's not right. Look at what's happening with all this injustice where people don't have food and water. That's not right. Look at this. This is not right. That's not right. Everything's, it's all fucked up. And yeah, the medicine was like showing me just like, this is so fucking complicated what's going on here that you don't even have the slightest perspective to tell what something is right or wrong or what it oh, should man. be at all. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying. I think I remember having a sort of similar experience where one, yeah, us passing judgment of like right now the world feels fucked up, right? When has the world right. ever not been fucked up? Like in our grandparents' <laughs> right. lifetime, World War II, okay? Right. Go back any other time before that. It's in a constant state of chaos and this ebb and flow and like this feeling mm -hmm. that we have of that things are not all right. I know what you mean of having that zoom out of like, there's a real serenity of like, I guess it's acceptance or... Right. Well, and it's like, it's... <laughs> Okay, so subjectively, it feels like there's still a lot of injustice. There's still a lot of things that I would like to see different, that if I could wave a magic wand, I would make different. Um, but this experience showed me that, well, maybe I, I shouldn't wave that magic wand if I have it, because I don't really know what the fuck I'm messing with. But objectively, all this, like the way it is right now, it's like, man, could you imagine being like, born in like England or Germany during the Roman times or like, you know, be a Jewish person when Egypt was in power. Like there's a lot yeah, of, yeah. Like, it's, it's been really fucked up <laughs> and, forever. Yeah. It's actually right now is like the, with all the fucked up shit going on, it really is like the most safe and gentle time the earth has ever fucking known. <laughs> it's like, yeah. how ironic. <laughs> I mean, I guess that is, I don't know what to call it, but that's a very psychedelic idea that almost makes me feel like I'm tripping of <laughs> when you can stare at the worst injustices, the most suffering in the world, like all those experiences, there is kind of this other way of looking at it from that higher perspective of this is just life mm. and part of it's many manifestations and the, I, I guess the i've been i heard another ram das talk about that of like yes as you go along this path you might cultivate that mindset more and more but you still react with your human heart like you can't he was talking about like you know people coming to him and saying i've been diagnosed with cancer and i thought i had almost more time and he's got one part of his brain thinking Oh, this is great. You're exactly where you should be. Like everything's going to fall apart and you're going to have to really grow up now. Right. But then you obviously you can't say that or 
I mean, that's not how we react as human beings to that. But there is this growing part of you that kind of becomes aware of like, I don't know, it's all part of the game. Yeah, it's nice to have that. It's nice when I remember that it's all a part of whatever's happening. Um, but it's it's also like whatever's happening is requiring me for me to play my part in all the cogs turning. I'm supposed to react with that human heart. I'm supposed to be upset that the person's getting cancer. I'm supposed yeah. to have that human reaction or like I'm not playing my part right. And you can't deny yourself that either. I, I had a lot of that of like, oh, why am I feeling so jealous? Uh, and then it was more like, yeah, because you're fucking human. Right, right. Stop trying to bypass, like feel really jealous. Like right. get in there. Dude, I had this like idea that after I had like started waking up, I guess that I'm supposed to be like, I'm supposed to be like Jesus or the Buddha and yeah. never have any anger and never have any frustration and always be loving and compassionate to everyone. And it ended up fucking me up so much. Like, uh, at that same house in St. Louis, I, I let this fucking kid live there that I, he was on my weightlifting team and I could not fucking stand this kid. He was, <laughs> he was awful. He, he was only at my house for two months. He threw some like the dog shit in the living room. He threw it while I was out of town, threw it in the kitchen trash can. So when I came home, there was like 200 flies in the house. He burnt up put like a hot plate or a hot um, skillet on the countertop and like burnt a hole in the linoleum and like was just causing a fucking ruckus everywhere. He was like completely not self-aware, always being a dick, disrespect. Like I fucking could not stand this guy, but I told myself like, but you made yourself because you yeah. thought he was like, I need a place to live. And I was like, sure. Come live with me. I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, a, yeah, I, I certainly experienced that too of like, you put up all these boundaries for a reason and you have all these emotions for a reason. Like anger is very much like a signal of like, it can be a signal of someone is harming you or doing something wrong. Now right. it can also misfire and be something else, but that's pretty much anger's purpose is to, to alert you that a boundary is being crossed. Right. And all so of our wires are so fucked up that we have misguided anger it's either someone's committing injustice to us or like i have a misguided perspective that is like causing me to think that this is some injustice when it's not yes it's like okay i'm feeling angry take a pause take a step back look around something's going on that i need to be aware of because otherwise it wouldn't be there yeah a lot of the times, um, I think at first it was like, I was learning a lot of these boundaries and m right now, because of the way my life's been with all this COVID stuff and it's been a lot smaller and a lot less interactions with people, it's kind of turned into like, actually, this is a time to look at yourself now. Like it's not, none of your boundaries have been crossed. You <laughs> like they're they're all up and they're actually higher than they probably should be so yeah <laughs> something's going on with you yeah i've been trying to learn like well i've been trying to practice th that like taking a step back and um 
like when me and Sinclair get in a fight or something like that, I'm like, nine times out of 10, this shit has nothing to do with her. And I'm not getting something that I need. I'm not taking care of myself in the right way. I'm not like, whatever it is, there's something that going on within myself that has nothing to do with her. That's causing me to get angry at her for no reason. <laughs> it's, it's been this, uh, it's been a lot of learning over the last couple of months. Do you have like an example of one of those where you caught yourself? Cause I mean, yeah, it's constant. Mm. Well, I can't think of anything like most of the time it's like, I need to talk to, I need to talk to a friend or I need to go be out in nature or I need to be spending some time alone or like, playing music or I'm feeling frustrated about something that I can't do anything about. Like feeling like I'm not contributing because I can't find a job or feeling like I'm, I have less value because of that or something like that. Oh yeah. I've been there. And then she'll say or do something that like alerts me to that that that's going on within me. And rather than being like, ah, there's this fucking thing in me that like, I need some attention to taking care of myself or like letting go of some attachment to some idea of myself or whatever, rather than, rather than like taking that responsibility and taking that like empowered creator stance, like I turn around and be like, ah, you poked my fucking sore spot. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, like... of course. <laughs> well, because whatever it is that is being brought up is something that's uncomfortable and you don't want to look at it and you're mm. not. Um, yeah, having that kind of unmet need and then having, I mean, I think a lot of that has to go back to childhood shit because I do the same thing of like, it's not just that someone is poking my thing. It's I want them to notice that I'm not okay and I want them to ask me, Hey, are you okay? And like right. pro and then, and then fulfill that need for me. Right. So it's like this childhood sulking thing of like, I can't get mom or dad's attention and they're not paying attention. And so I'm going to act out and lash out. And then they're going to go, Hey, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> I have like the, it's funny. I have most of the time, the opposite thing. Okay. I'm like, I had like a helicopter mom. So I'm like, stop. Paying attention. Uh, like I need some space. <laughs> um, but she, dude, she, she is such a good teacher for me. It's always amazing. Like she'll be having a hard time with something and she'll stop and say like, I really just need a hug right now. And I'm like, that shit is so simple and so obvious to just say it. And it always, it seems to like elude me that it's so obvious that I look right over it and and looking for this convoluted way to get whatever I need. And yeah, she'll oh, just yeah, like, I need this. And I'm like, fuck, wow. Like you just asked for it. And of course I'll, I'll if I can give it to you, I will. <laughs> so. I wonder how much of that is a male thing or just our personality thing of like not speaking up for your needs or being able to identify them i definitely like i mean i definitely modeled that from my father yeah he's i mean i think that's like the 
that's the cultural idea of a man, right? Is like, <clears throat> I don't need to talk about anything. I don't need any help with anything. I can figure everything out myself. I'm fucking no, thank you. I got this. Yeah. What's wrong with you, babe? Like, right. <laughs> you look like it's this constant being a provider, protector type thing and never admitting any fault or weakness or emotionality yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had that same one with a hug. That was one of my biggest ayahuasca experiences was it was like the last one of my first retreat. And I was really excited because one of the volunteers that I had a crush on was like the helper. So I was like, oh, great. We're going to have like this bonding experience. I don't, first of all, I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. I was leaving the next day, but I, <laughs> just like, you know, that way that female attention can have that such that power over you. Yeah. And so I was really excited. And uh, of course, what ended up happening was the medicine was the most punishing it's ever been. All I did was purge and like, in my head, feel like I was, you know, just the weakest, the most pathetic I've ever been. And like having her like take me to the bathroom and listen as I diarrhea everywhere. <laughs> and then this point of like, I couldn't even go back to the circle. I couldn't walk back and just sitting there and her sitting there quiet with me and something bubbled up in me of like, I'm really not doing okay right now. And so I asked her, can I just have a hug? And it, it was like this thing of realizing like, that's all I really wanted in the first place was like to meet someone and have them see me and feel like some human connection. Yeah. And then my programming is so much that that has to be a sexual thing. Right. I have to pursue her. I have to like win over her affection when all I really wanted was just a fucking hug. Right. And I had to like puke my brains out and have the worst experience ever to get to that place. And then kind of once I did, the rest of it was relatively smooth sailing. Dude, I ayahuasca is so fucking so so wise <laughs> to like you know Yeah, I love like, hearing so I was wondering if you had one of those like emotional breakthrough stories of it happening in a very strange way. Mm. Or even just like, that's what gets me the most. That's what is the real juice for me is those ayahuasca stories of like that emotional breakthrough of a, getting down to some deep layer. It's something so primitive, something so basic. So simple. Yeah, the that's, I mean, that's been the whole thing is like every time I've come to the medicine and I'm like, there's this, 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 all on this layer up here that I want to work on. And she's like, no, no, we're down here. And it's this yeah. one little basic, simple fucking thing. And it's so simple that you missed it because you're trying to complicate everything all the time. <laughs> it's like, whatever the simple thing is, it's like, holy shit, that was it? And it's like, yeah, it's... Um, I don't know. It's, it's no wonder that my mind misses it because my mind's always looking for this complicated, this like, I don't know, really involved way to get whatever it is I need. I mean, yeah, I have all those same things. And then I guess that's what it does is it knocks you back down to those 
basic human needs that one, our culture is very bad about providing or admitting that we need. Right. The whole like community thing and, you know, even like, I don't know, just the way that families are structured in Western society. Like there's just this breakdown of like Mm. community and social order and the way I guess that people would have had those special ties through religion. I didn't get those till I was like, you know, 28 and doing ayahuasca in South America. (laughs) I think there's another part of like, say what you will about religion. And I grew up with none of it, but at least there's like community and an aspect of like a higher power. And of course it's all fucking bastardized and shitty, but there's some part of it that's good. And I think we've lost that. Well, that was the, um, that was the healing. I mean, of course there was like, when I was going to the 12 step meetings, there was like working the step that narcotics anonymous has this like 300 page workbook. That's like all these questions for each of these steps. And they're like, I mean, goddamn, they're in depth questions. Like for example, two questions in a row will be something like write down every resentment that you've ever had. So that's one question. And then the next question will be like, go back and write down what was your part in each of those resentments? Everyone <laughs> you've ever had. That's like, a, that, that's like a book. <laughs> yeah. Like that you can remember that's significant. You don't have okay. to like dig through everything, but yeah, you know, it's like pages. Major pages. 10. Yeah. And so there's, there is that aspect of the internal work with those, um, with that way of healing or that community or whatever. But um, the thing about it that really was healing for me was all of a sudden I had a community. I had elders. I had something I did all the time, a place where like I could connect with other people uh, around spirituality and like it fulfilled all these basic needs that like once I had those met, like why would I need to use drugs? I have everything I need. They, um, they, okay. So they did this. I don't know who they is actually, but I read this, um, study one time on rats and addiction, you know, and they always say like, I've heard a million times. Okay. The, um, the rats will choose cocaine over water or food right? They'll choose heroin over food. And this, this researcher was like realizing that all these rats, when they're doing that are in isolation, they're in a tiny little cage by themselves. And so he did this experiment where he made like rat utopia. There was like tunnels (laughs) everywhere, all this like shredded up um, wood for them to like make nests with and like, abundant food and water and grass and like all these things to play with all everything rats could love. And like, there was like 50 or 60 rats in this giant, like giant pen and none, not a single one of those rats chose cocaine or heroin or anything else. They would all try it. And then they would leave it alone after one go. Cause they had oh, everything they needed. And then on top of that, he would take, rats that were addicted and isolated in their fucking cages by themselves and were choosing the cocaine or the heroin or whatever over water or over food. And then he would take them and put them in the fucking pen 
and all of a sudden they would fucking get clean. <laughs> it was like, wow, holy shit. I mean, that's what everyone says about addiction, right? That it's, it's not why the addictions, why the pain, right? Right. There's some of these really basic traumas or unmet needs or something. And that's why people, I mean, the addiction is just masking what the real source of the issue right. is. Right. Right. And it's a lot to like, I don't know. We put this, like, we put this nuclear family on this pedestal that like, this is the pinnacle of this is how families should be. But I know with, from my experience is like now my two people, when I was a kid, it was up to two people to provide every single emotional mental, physical, spiritual need. It's like, what, what the fuck makes us think that two people are even capable of providing that for another human being? Like, we need these communities. We need access to, like, friends and family and elders and everyone shares the load. And it's like, it seems a lot easier that way to me <laughs> it's not so much no but where do you find that i think everyone kind of scrambles to find that especially in adulthood you have this kind of structure when you're younger of school so right. school kind of fits all those needs um or at least it provides like this common experience that you're united with people around your age and kind of have this natural social hierarchy which can suck but also hopefully you find your way in it and have friends in a community. Right. And then like, as you get shot out into adulthood, like a pinball, <laughs> it's basically just like, all right, figure it out. Right. Um, I don't think I really had that sense of community. It's fucking weird to say, but like I had stronger feelings of community and being like with like, you know, 10 days of retreat life that I can really remember ever feeling ever. Sure. For sure. I mean, for, for me, yeah, I found that in, I found that going to the 12 step meetings. And then when I no longer vibed with like the message, the philosophy, the whatever was going on there, I, I tried to keep going back for a long time because it was like, okay, even though I'm not vibing with this, I know that this community and all these things that I want are there. Um, and then I got into competing and weightlifting in school and it was the same thing. I found that there. And when I graduated, it was like, fuck, where is that? And um, I don't know. That's a, that's a big part of what we're, what we're doing with our work now is like, we've gotten this message that like, okay, that's what you want. Like create it, make yeah. a space for it, like figure out how to figure out how to give some place for people to go for some people to talk online when they're not in person or some place to visit when they're in town or need a place to like feel connection again. And, um, we really want to do it. We want to get a piece of land in the U S to have a place where like, I mean, it's not practical to go down to South America all the time, right? No, not at all. <laughs> we, I don't know. So, I don't know. We're in the process of trying to figure out what exactly that looks like, too. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fucking isolating out here. It's, uh, I mean, I feel grateful that I have 
Sinclair in my life. But at the same time, it's like what I was saying about my parents is like one person shouldn't be that all of those things for another. Human. No. And that's the downfall of a lot of relationships of trying to make one person the sole. Right. And that's kind of how our culture sets it up as well. Of Like this person should be your everything. Right. Yeah. We're set up to fail the, I don't know, man, the, the, the Disney channel, like view of a romantic relationship is like so fucking toxic. Yeah. Uh, but it sounds so good when you're a kid, at least to, to me, it did. It's like, wow, you, I would, I'm going to find this person and we're going to get together and then poof, happily ever after. And it'll be great. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish, um, I don't know. I'm hoping in the coming years to have some like, some better understanding of how to like navigate looking for those things. Um, right now I'm still just searching myself and a lot of the places where I feel most connected now is like going out into the woods or going out into nature and like really recognizing that like, right. The, the, Prayer they always say, um, right? So we are all one family. Everything is my relation. And it's like in some ideal world where all my hopes and dreams are fulfilled, it's like there would be people fulfilling these, this connection, this community, this, yeah, I guess just community and connection and love and support and all that. And in actuality, it's um, mostly come from like trees and birds and, <laughs> you know, like a, the dirt. I know what you mean. And I have that as well. I actually have to fight against that because I'm kind of my comfort zone is being a loner mm. and going out into the woods and all that. And so sort of like the uncomfortable part of it. I mean, that's part of what this podcast is, is like mm. just forcing my to put myself out there and try to, uh, you know, connect with other people who have a similar outlook. Cause the other part of it is if you come back from South America and you've had all these open experiences and you're kind of putting together this new identity, you're not really, uh, concrete in that yet. You're not confident yet. So if you're not embodying it really, then mm -hmm. you're just going to, and track the type of people, the type of person you used to be, or do you know what I mean? Of like, you have to kind of be willing to put yourself out there and project what you want in the world. Hmm. It's kind of like law of attraction bullshit of like, uh, whatever frequency or resonance you're at is what you're going to attract. Yeah. Well, and, and you're, but if you keep at the same time, it's like, if I keep putting myself in the situation that made me sick to begin with, then I'm never going to get into a healthier vibration. I mean, yes. like, I've been finding that out with my family is like, I had no fucking idea that going and working on myself and healing all this stuff within myself and getting connected to who I really am was going to cause such dissonance with 
these people that I really want, I want them in my lives and I want to have a loving relationship and I want to have a closeness with them. And the more growing up, the more healing, the more taking care of myself I do, the further apart we grow. And um, it's been like that with, I mean, like most of my friends and most of my family. And I, I really did like, when I got back, I did, did my best to like, not talk about the specifics of the ayahuasca because like, unless you've drank it, who can relate to what it feels like in your body or purging or like what a ceremony feels like or what it tastes like or any of the specifics of ayahuasca. Yeah. Oh, so I was like, okay, don't talk about any of that. Like just talk about the lessons and like what you're gaining and what you're working on. And surely everyone can relate to that. And um, what I found, especially with my family is like, me looking at myself this way makes them a fucking uncomfortable. They do not want to look at themselves that way. They don't like having someone else around who's like, like we, we used to have a lot of like bonds over venting and complaining and <laughs> oh yeah, stuff. and um, you know, okay. So when I'm, when I'm doing really well in myself, Again, of course, not all the time, but when I am doing good in myself, when I'm venting about something, I can like take a step back and say like, okay, well, what is my part in this? Because who cares what the other person's doing? I can only worry about my side of the street anyways. And when my family comes to vent and, you know, cause I'm not emotionally involved the same way. I'm always like Johnny on the spot with like, well, what's your part in this? And like, what's your side of the street and whatever. And well, they don't want that. They want you to be like, yeah, that guy's a fucking bitch. Right. And they want you to pile on and make a sport of it. Exactly. And I am like, man, it's been this big division where I'm like, not only is that not loving or kind to you to support you being a victim. So I'm not going to do it, but it's also not loving and kind to myself to be a fucking trash can for your anger, frustration or whatever. So I'm not going to listen to it. So I've been like telling them, like, listen, if you're going to call me with this shit, I'm going to tell you, like, what is your side in this? And if you want to talk about that, we can talk. But otherwise, I don't want to fucking I don't want to be a receptacle for anger or negativity or like complaints like I I can't. And um, the more I enforce those boundaries, which. In some ways, it feels really good to enforce those boundaries, right? I'm like, wow, I'm taking care of myself. Cause when I get off the phone after listening to someone vent for an hour, I fucking feel heavy. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. So it's like it, in one way it's taking care of myself and it feels really good to take care of myself. But at the same time, it's like, I'm pushing this connection that I want further away. So that doesn't feel good. It's like figuring out how to navigate all that has been like, so, so fucking tricky. Um, but like what you were talking about with, with the girl, right? Like, Maybe I don't need that with my family. Maybe I just need that interaction in general. And the more I have conversations with people like you, the more I feel like that part of me is fulfilled. I think there, so there's a couple of things that bring up to, and by the way, I have all that same shit with my family. It, yeah. Whatever. It takes different form, but I think part of it is it's very painful and uncomfortable to, it's not only that they're like, being a trash using you as a trash can, but it's like 
reminding you of so many old patterns and like your whole life. Right. Right. So it's triggering you in a way. Right. And you're trying to exert this force of like, how do I renegotiate our, our relationship, our terms? And it's not natural because you adopted whatever way of being they have. And they're not, they're not going to change actually. Right. They may change slowly, but that's, that's the other, I think that's the hard thing about family is realizing they're not going to change or I can, at least I cannot expect them to change. If I want to have them in my life or love them, it's going to have to be on their own terms. Right. I can't require them to change for me, but I can set up what my own boundaries are, but that's really fucking hard because like it hurts or their reaction is going to be angry or disgruntled or whatever it is. They're going to be annoyed with you. And we, right. we don't want that. We don't want people to be annoyed with us. No, I want to, um, yeah, I want it to be, well, I want the relationship to be mutually beneficial. I want them to get out of an exchange with me and feeling like that was a, I enjoyed that. But yeah. I, I also want to feel the same way myself. So it's like, it's been a weird place to navigate. And um, yeah, so it's like, how do we both get what we need? And so right. you're trying to tell them like, oh, they're venting. What's really behind the venting, mom or dad? And they're like, I don't want to adopt that hippie bullshit way of looking at it. I want right. to vent. And right. so the way they want to fulfill that need is not the way that you want to deal with it. Exactly. So yeah, it's been, it's been weird. I don't have a, I don't really have an answer for it or like um, it doesn't feel really resolved yet. And there is no answer. <laughs> I think we all constantly renegotiate these things. Mm -hmm. I've had maybe like, three i think three like major upheavals in my life where like something has cracked and i've been like i gotta change the way i do everything yeah and every time i've done it it's been really brutal for like at least a year afterward and <laughs> yeah. like it, it takes a while to sort of rebuild each little part of your foundation. And that's what it is. You have to get that foundation back. Where am I living? How am I going to make a living? You know, all those things. And hopefully you get like something that's a little more aligned with yourself each time. Right. Every time it's happened to me, it's either been through a drug experience or a breakup. Yeah. And, and it's led to me just reevaluating everything. I, everything. Right. It says a lot about your character to be able to do that multiple times. I think. I think <laughs> well, I think, I'll accept the compliment, but. I don't think a lot of people go through that at, at all. If, and if they do once is like, once is a lot. It's always come unwillingly though. <laughs> so, you know, the first time was like being very, very depressed and doing mushrooms it was my way of saying, like, I know something's wrong, but I don't know what. And then, of yeah. course, the mushrooms are just going to fucking destroy you, <laughs> kick your ass, show you everything that's wrong all at once. Right. right. Be merciless and, like, no one's going to fix this, dude. It's only right. you. Right. And so the aftermath of that was terrible, but eventually reaped, you know, a lot of rewards. And then the same thing with the breakup of, like, getting into a place of such misery and not really knowing why, mm. but, like, 
all of these changes have been involuntary. Yeah. Well, on one level, right. It's like my understanding is, so I had this, that same uh, ayahuasca where I was like outside of the physical reality, looking down in on it. it was like, I don't know, some kind of like soul land or something like that. And uh, I was like listening to my soul be like, yeah, you, you came down. I came down here to live in you to like heal all this shit through your family line and like do all this work on myself. And it's through you that I'm doing it. And this is a fucking, I mean, if you make it to the medicine, it's a, you picked a big fucking lifetime. Like let's, let's uh, go for a lot of it, you know, like, let, all right, let's go for the fucking PhD. An associate's degree is not enough. <laughs> I think about that sometimes of like, once you've kind of had that sort of spiritual awakening type thing is like, you really can't go back. No. You can try. I've certainly have. And uh, yeah, the only way forward is through painful, uncomfortable growth. Like you, you just won't be able to live a kind of quiet, uh, small, confined life. Like you just, you won't be able to do it. Well, so. I don't mean quiet or small in the sense of, I mean, unexamined is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, okay. Everyone, everyone in this whole existence is on the spiritual path. The difference is some people acknowledge it and are like going forward with it by choice. And I think when we do that, it makes these events, our growth happen much quicker, more frequent and much more profound when we do. Everyone's going through it, but uh, I know before I started waking up, I was really resistant to it a lot. I was really like, you know, like, okay, I hear what you're trying to tell me, but like, I got this plan. I'm, yeah. I'm doing this. So leave me alone. And now it's like, okay, I, I see what's going on here and there's really no choice. I'm going to be doing this at some point throughout existence. So there's only now I might as well do it now. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like whenever you're ready. You're right. And you'll resist it for a while until the urge becomes so uh, uncomfortable that you can't anymore, basically. But it's like before, in, in years ago, I used to be able to really like numb and fucking turn it everything off for a while. And even now when I was like, when I was smoking weed a couple months ago, I, it would never do it the same way that it used to, where I would completely fucking not be there. It's like something's turned on in me where like, I can't numb it all the way and kind of bittersweet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's like, you know, what going down that road leads to, it's like, yeah. it only delays the awake. It makes the awakening that much more painful when the feelings do come back online, sure. you know, like, then it could turn into another two or three year ordeal where you got to climb a mountain and right, right. You know, go through all the steps again. It's like, hopefully by dealing with the pain and the suffering as it comes up, mm. you sort of prevent that need. I'm trying to have less giant explosions in my life. You know, like yeah. that's been my pattern is every few years I have this kind of 
wake up call. I'm like, maybe that'll keep happening. Or maybe I can have like smaller waves. Like it doesn't all have to be like giant. I'm way up here right now and then crash. And then I'm way back up here. It's like, can I find a way to even it out a little bit? Yeah. Or like, or like, I don't know. I've been really wanting to like be able to just walk through whatever wave looks like with like gracefully. It's like, you know, it's, I don't know. Like I can, I can feel upset. I can feel lost. I can feel depressed. I can feel angry, but does that mean I have to throw a tantrum? Like if I could just fucking just like feel it with no, I don't need to make a big scene about it. I can just, I can just feel it. You can until you get presented with something that is over your current limit. right? Right. So I think we were all faced with that sort of this year a lot of people were of like just having to deal with something that is beyond our capability of dealing with having like this such disruption and i know for a while like during the beginning of the first couple months like i was holding in there it was more like the progression over time of like having emotions just barrage you over and over you lose the ability to kind of like ride them out but as as difficult and annoying as I find like shit like this to be, it's like all these all these difficult experiences are really really happening for my favor. It's like it's good for me. They are, but I remember whenever I was in like a really hard time and someone say, like, you know, someday you're gonna look back at this and think, this is a period where you really grow. I'm like, right. fuck you, fuck right. you. Don't jump in the nearest fire, please. <laughs> and then, you know, a couple of years later, you're like, oh, yeah, I was right. But it's not the thing that you want to hear when you're no. going through it. No. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I always just. It is I true. <laughs> someone like, I just want to hear someone tell me like, yeah, I know how you feel. It's fucking valid to feel like that. I've listened to this time. I also felt like that. Yeah. You just want to be seen and heard. You don't want someone to kind of, in a way they're kind of minimizing it of trying to say like, whatever you're feeling right now, you should have a higher perspective on it. You should, right. You should see it as growth. It's like, yeah, I know it's going to be growth eventually, but right now it fucking sucks. That's it. That's the end. It's kind of a downer note to go out on. So I will share with you my fat base loops that I make to relieve stress, I just play. It's all bass, nothing but bass. I hope your life is going well.